Hello everyone, welcome to Tennis with an Accent. It's been quite a while, actually more than two weeks since we last spoke. Uh, but there good, there's a good reason I was preparing uh, the upcoming podcast and we are ending the decade, ending the season or you can say starting the new series here with a special guest. Uh, for Indian fans, it's a treat. Uh, one of the best players to come out of India. Indian shores in the last decade or so. Rohan Bopanna has uh, made himself available to come on the podcast. Uh, I know it's the off-season. Players have a lot of commitments. They're busy. They're training. They're with family. So it's very kind of Rohan. Uh, on that note, welcome, uh, Rohan, to Tennis with an Accent. Uh, thank you, Sakib. Thank you so much for uh, you know having me on this podcast. And uh, I know we have been... Uh, uh, trying a few dates to get on schedule, but I'm glad uh, we finally made it. I'm really happy to be speaking to you. No, it's really kind of you. So uh, there's a lot of rich topics in line in my mind. And uh, I'm a fan first, and uh, I've seen you courtside a couple of times. So so how's the off-season going? What does Rohan Bopanna do uh, to keep the commitments and the body? And you know, what is the balancing act here for a tennis player? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, this off-season is uh, very, very different from the uh, any other off-season I've had because my wife and I were blessed with a daughter seven months ago. So I'm really getting to spend a lot of time with the family and especially our daughter. I think it's the best thing uh, ever, no, uh, no matter how whoever tries to tell you what the feeling is. I think you have to experience yourself and that is what I am doing right now. So even right after Paris, I've been uh, majority of my time at home. So when I'm, uh, I'm trying to avoid traveling at the moment, even whether it is going to just uh, cities in India, where normally other off seasons, I'm going to uh, do my off season training with somebody or do some events. So this off-season has been really special and I'm really happy to be spending quality time at home and being with the family. And uh, the other uh, good part about uh, this, which works in my favor, uh, favor, is that the tournaments for 2020 is only starting on the 6th of January. So that gives me some extra time again at home. So in a way... Uh, a very, very different kind of uh, off-season. But having said that, I've started resuming my uh, training uh, recently from the past about 10 days. Uh, the good part about having my own academy in, in Bangalore that I can go to the academy and get to play with different uh, players. So that is something, again, uh, a very new thing for me. And I'm really happy that I have a mix of uh, uh you know, these two things where I can practice in the morning and now after the training for about three, four hours, come back home and spend time with the family. Uh, absolutely. There's no substitute for that. Congratulations uh, on that. Uh, and so, uh, so you talk about the academy. So is it uh, is it also like a training base for uh, like most academies work, like a lot of Indian players, do they uh, use that uh, throughout the year, depending on, you know, where the stop is? Uh, is that how? Uh, is that another function of the academy? And then we'll get into you know what the academy is covering as far as uh, young and upcoming talent. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to uh, give an opportunity for uh, anyone who is in Bangalore to come. You know, uh, like you said, if they are 
passing by this way uh, to try and ca- come and use the facilities of uh, what the academy has and get to play with different players. And uh, I think that not only helps the player coming in, but also motivates the players at the academy to play with somebody higher ranked and uh, get some motivation themselves. Hmm. And again, I'm sure you've been hearing this yourself and probably answered this many, uh, many times. Uh, in the great, uh, you know, in the, in the landscape of Indian sport, how far has tennis come and uh, how does academy academies like yours help bridge this gap? Because, you know, uh, I'm slightly older than you. I grew up watching the Edbergs and the Beckers and Pat Cash of the world. And, uh, you know, while I was in India, we were always waiting for our next player and we've done quite well. But uh, where does... Uh, tennis stand in, in, in that in that regard and how has the progress been under your watch since you have been a player? No, I think uh, uh, over the years of just going through, uh, you know, the program of uh, starting as a junior, then coming out of the juniors, getting into the men's and it has been a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I think uh, the toughest part is in India, we don't have a structure in place. Uh and in terms of structure being whether uh, to have uh, a facility where you can go and train and get the best uh, of everything under one roof uh, or for the uh, matter of fact, having a series of tournaments where you can just stay in India and maybe compete at. Um, there are a few co- coaches, yes, with the knowledge uh, of taking the players at to, to a level uh, which... I think they have done their potential best to bringing all the best Indian tennis players. But after that, we do need somebody uh, to take these tennis players to the next level. We need to bring in good coaches in India to help work with the Indian coaches to, uh, you know, really bring out good tennis players. Uh, one of the uh, things I uh, really wanted when I started this academy, um, I started my academy three years ago. But um, on June 15th, we tied up with a uh, chain group of institutions, which is a sports school. And it is uh, a tennis academy integrated with education from first standard all the way up to post-graduation and has boarding, lodging and everything under one roof. Uh, We even have an in-house fitness trainer who's specifically working on these tennis athletes, tennis kind of drills. Uh, We have a physio involved. We have a nutritionist there. So I'm trying to create a system where a player can just come and get everything under one roof, including his education. And uh, this is the first of its kind in India. And uh, we've opened this in Bangalore. Uh, So really trying to make that a difference. And eventually, uh, my goal is to also have tournaments at the academy. We have seven uh, professional uh, size tennis courts, floodlets. So I want to have not only the All Indian Tennis Ranking uh, tournaments, but some futures and eventually having uh, some WTA events and uh, challengers to really help these kids uh, to train in one center and also constantly play, be playing you know, tournaments. And I think that is where uh, us as Indian players, even though from the time I was a junior to till today, we are still facing the exact same uh, problems. And uh, I think we as players need to work with the Federation together to make this possible. 
No, that's a quite a quite a good roadmap. Again, you know, I'm nobody, but I'm just a fan. But I think all the things you said uh, uh, looks like it's it's pointing in the right direction. And because in India, we all know education is such integral part of the society. And um, a lot of times we said, you know, a, a, a good prodigy or a good upcoming player should not have to make a choice. Sport is clear if they're excelling, but you should not also give up. You know, there's always a balancing act. And these academies, I think even in Europe, I see a lot of academies have uh, uh, education incorporated. So I think that's that's the perfect step in that regard. What's the interest level of tennis, Rohan, these days in uh, in juniors, I know cricket is a big sport. I mean, that's a clear number one. Where does tennis fit in the landscape? Is it competing with football? Is it competing with? Uh, I know there's a lot of interest, at least from TV. It seems like for NBA. Then there, you know, in the field hockey. Where does tennis? Uh, where does tennis lie in that in that race? I mean, are we getting the top uh, young athletic kids, or or is still the best talent going towards cricket, which is quite a clear indication? What are your thoughts on that? Definitely, uh, you know, cricket is by far way, way, way ahead. But, uh, you know, all the other sports are slowly still has a very good interest. Tennis has a very high interest in terms of the age of 14, 15, 16. And after that, it tapers down because, again, it comes down to lack of structure in place. If you see the uh, the cricket, which doing extremely well is because they, uh, they have a great domestic structure in place, a lot of tournaments at the domestic level, then at the international level, uh, whether it is juniors or the senior level. And that really makes a difference. I mean, that's the way to go uh, because there are tons and tons of kids who are very, very interested in playing tennis. Now we just have to uh, try and find the right pathway because this the system from the federation has been going the same way for 30 years. And that has to change. And uh, and I and I feel um, we as players who have uh, been playing this sport for such a long time have to find a way to really work with the federation. Uh, you know, I think we're we're all to blame at the at the end of it. Whether it is a federation, whether it's the players, uh, you know, we are there's constant battle constantly happening between the players and the federation. So I feel there has to be uh, somewhere where. Uh, some sportsmen, tennis players have to be involved in the federation as well to make sure to understand what exactly is needed and to help various different academies, um, you know, all over India. I mean, India is such a big country, so you just cannot have it in one city, you know, uh, the best facility. You need to have it in various different cities. And I feel that, for example, if you want to have a future or a challenger in each state, that's more than enough of tournaments we have throughout the year. If you're competing with athletes from the Europe, uh, from US or wherever it may be, we have to realize before competing uh, against them, are we getting the right kind of training, the right kind of facilities to even compare ourselves that we are able to compete at that high level. And to compete at that high level, the facilities are still lacking in a big way and that is where i think we need to first focus on as uh, tennis fraternity and really build that before we look at uh, getting more players and champions at a higher level i think very well said and uh, it's not only in india i think in most countries i think even in us you know i've been calling us home for almost two decades and post andy roddick you know we haven't had 
you know, the kind of expectation the U.S. public had to, you know, for someone to be competing for majors. And uh, I think it was McEnroe, uh, I think a long time ago, said that in U.S., the problem is the kids uh, are competing uh, with for four or five big sports, and usually tennis doesn't get the top talent. You know, it goes towards football, basketball, and uh, baseball, and hockey. So I think in India, clear answer is cricket. But uh, and the other I think other issue with tennis is individual sport. It has advantages, I think, but it's also still I think a country club sport. I mean, it's still very expensive to start with. Has that changed? And there's academy like yours. Do you provide again? Do you have plans? I don't know if you already do or not, but do you have plans uh, to provide scholarship for some players who may not be able to afford it, but they're showing a lot of promise? Uh, is that is that something of a topic that, you know, that works on these discussion tables? Yeah, absolutely. We already have been uh, uh, giving a few scholarships out for the kids uh, from the academy. And now uh, the school being part of the academy really helps that as well to in order to... Uh, try and really widen out uh, a lot more opportunities for these kids. And the sports school, uh, you know, the idea was it's not only tennis. It is also, It does have basketball, cricket, football, badminton, swimming, uh, everything under one roof, which I feel can only motivate. When, when you watch other kids train, I feel the kids, on, no matter which sport they're playing, they get motivated and the sports school, what we are really trying to focus is that uh, we want them to play sport first and then education. Because in India, we have more than enough educational institutions. So this way, we can also identify some talented players and give them some scholarships as well. I mean, we really, uh, with the school, we have um, uh, this player called Nikki Punacha, who won the men's nationals recently. And we have already been supporting him from the academy and now we also we're trying to get him scholarship with the school so he can also pursue his education at the same time and to really uh, you know help him as much as possible from our side because i really feel he's got a uh, really good game and if it's nurtured and can just give him a little bit of confidence in term towards the direction and that will you know really help and uh, so we are trying our best to do uh, a little bit from my personal end, what what can be done, but I think we need to get a lot more corporates really involved into the sport to understand, uh, you know, the sport. And I feel the other big change is uh, that unfortunately the tournaments we play, uh, like for example, I'm playing uh, all over the world, are not really telecasted in India. People are reading it on the newspaper, maybe uh, whether I won or lost. But every time I feel if that can be telecasted in India, whether uh, last time I was telling uh, one of the sports ministers that uh, I was playing quarterfinal at French Open, uh, the men's doubles quarterfinals. And unfortunately, it was not being shown in India. But uh, so I feel when there are about a handful of tennis players now playing, whether it's a qualies of a Grand Slam the main draws of the Grand Slam or Master Series or whether it may be doubles, even if some of these matches are shown in India, it will definitely help these kids getting interest in that sport, watching their own countrymen perform at these big events. And even if it's 1% of a change which will make a difference, I think that will help the sport in a better way. No, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the coffin there because this is 
this is the trend overall. You look at even big federations like uh, Sweden and Germany that had, you know, big heroes when you and I were, you know, watching TV like the, the Beckers and Edberg. And there, there's big Brilliant. transformation. You know, there's a loss of interest. Uh, I talked to Alex Theodoridis. He runs the Swedish website Tennis Portalon. And he said, you know, him and his partner, Eric Johnson, are the only two voices. No one's covering tennis in Sweden. They are fighting. They, the interest has dropped, Correct. of course. I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. You know? So there's no live matches besides majors, and Soderling is gone. They don't get that coverage. So I think you are absolutely right. I've gone to gone on to cover Montreal and uh, Miami, where I've seen. I think uh, you. I think you, in 2017 you were playing uh, with the. I think Zimonich against. Uh, I believe against Kyrgios and no, you were playing with Cuevas, and I, I remember Cuevas, that. Yes. But yeah. I didn't see many Indian. Uh, Journalists in the press room in in Rogers Cup or Miami, and then I've gone to New Haven where Sanya was playing. So I think that's uh, that's the thing we need. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a chicken or the egg thing, you know. To create awareness at that level, we have to have coverage in this day and age. You can even uh, share you know progress through YouTube, but I don't see uh, many of our journalists. Last year, Ankita Raina won a qualies match. I was not there as media. I was just there as a fan. I wish I was there as media. I could have interviewed her, but then you know you can't disturb the protocol. And there was no one following her. She made the you know she won the qualifying round. There were Indian fans around her. But these are stories that need to resonate back home, and this can generate more interest. You are absolutely right. You know the coverage has to go hand in hand with players, uh, no matter you know what stage of the tournament they are. Because I see the Japanese press. There's like huge number, and they told me since Nishikori started winning. Uh, there's, it became a full-time career for many journalists, and I think that's uh, I think you hit on something very important. That's that's the whole discussion by itself. I think we can have a podcast alone on that topic. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The coverage has to be there. No, yeah. If you uh, if you see another sport in India, which is badminton, which has really really picked up in a big way, and I think that was one of the reasons of when they had a couple of players doing really well, extremely well. They had constantly media covering them. They were Every match uh, they live is uh, shown live in India, which has really picked up and made a big interest for the sport, and also helped a lot of the athletes in picking up that sport. And the sport has grown tremendously in India, which is fantastic to see. And I think that is, uh, you know, a similar route in terms of when they have it for a couple other sports, we should have it for all sports because at the end of the day. That is what will make a difference because every sport is has its own charm. The various different, uh, for example, difficulties every athlete goes through coming from India. Like I said, the lack of facilities and everything. And now to see them, whether it may be qualifying of a Grand Slam or just maybe making that main draw, like the example of Ankita Raina you gave, it would definitely inspire a young girl watching her play or a young boy watching maybe Sumit uh, or Prajnesh playing. Yes, Sumit's match against Roger Federer was shown, but his qualifying match, first time qualifying, all those matches if was had to be shown in India when Prajnesh qualified in Indian Wells this year and making, you know, so all those matches would really, I think, make a big difference in terms of uh, the sport also growing in India. I think we're in total agreement there. So let's do a quick segue of the health of the Indian tennis right now. Of course, you are, you know, the torchbearer. You are uh, 
you know, the veteran, if, if I call, uh, if I may call among these other colleagues of yours or, you know, co-professionals. So what is the health of the current game with Yuki Bambri? I think has been injured for a while, but I see his updates on Facebook. He's trying to regain fitness and health. But then there is Prajnesh, there is uh, Ramkumar Ramanathan, there is uh, uh, Sumit Nagal, of course, the latest, you know, he's playing really well on clay. So what does the future board well? And, and, and all these guys, I believe, have training bases outside of India because it's such an international sport. So... Uh, what's your view on these uh, these guys on the singles court and then there's the David Sharon so we have quite a contingent it's not as big as you know the Argentines or Spanish but you know you go to most ATP even 250 you'll see two or three Indian names which is really good to see but uh, how does Rohan Bopanna see how, how has this progressed since you joined the tour no I think it is uh, progress very very slowly uh, the fact that we right now have even uh, I was just checking the calendar, I mean, sorry, the ranking yesterday. We have about five players in the top 500 in singles. So I think this is where we have to make a big difference. Right now we have, uh, I think, Prajnesh as the number one, then Sumit, then Ram Kumar, all in the top 200. We need to have more challenges in India. We had one challenger the entire year. I mean, when these guys are constantly trying to play these challenges and traveling, uh, week in, week out, whether it is in South America, Europe, or Asia, at the end of the day, it is still outside your home country. And if you can have, and we didn't even have one ITF futures in India. So when we start having these tournaments here, we will definitely have a lot more of a crop of Indian, these, and giving an opportunity basically for these players to perform well in the home country and then afterwards go and play the bigger events, get more confidence. If you see the uh, results in the last few challenges which has ha- which have taken place over the years in India, we have always had either an Indian making the semis or the final or winning the tournament, which has been a, a very small opportunity these uh, players are getting and they are trying to make use of it. So, when we look at those results, I think as a federation, we need to get really encouraged and push different federations from different states to really have, you know, a minimum of a future, if not a challenger, whether it was for the uh, women or the men. And that is where I think we will make a big, big change. So are you confident, again, you know the Indian scene a lot more because I'm quite removed. I don't live there anymore. But are you confident if you put more challenges and uh, make it more accessible via tickets and promote the game, you think there's enough interest in big centers? Uh, then, you you know, there's, there's hope that public will come and support these events. Again, you know, you need the fan interest uh, to keep this thing going. So what is your what is your feel on that when you play in front of Indian crowds? Of course, you are a big name. Sanya is a big name. And now I think people know Sumit because, you know, he played Federer. But overall, what are, what are the Indian masses? I mean, will, how will they respond to more tennis, uh, even if you spread it out among, you know, big centers across the nation? I think, you know, there are a lot of small cities which hardly have any tournaments or uh, any uh, events as such, as tennis events as such. So when we start promoting these tournaments there, we have a lot of interest. When we, I remember we had a Davis Cup tie in indoor, and every three days, there were a lot of people supporting and watching tennis. And I feel, you know, these cities sometimes just given the opportunity of these tournaments, they and there is nothing like playing at home when you have home support. 
I think it is the best feeling. Just it motivates you tremendously, and you bring out your best tennis out there. And I'm 100% sure that if we do have more futures and more challenges in India, we will definitely have a lot more of players coming through. Uh, you know the rankings and breaking through those barriers, and not just being in the 600, 700 ranking and breaking those 300, 200 uh, rankings, and really, ex, uh, uh, you know, uh, taking Indian tennis to a much higher level and performing at this uh, big stage. And it it will take some time, but it needs a good structure to take place. And that is we've never had that ever from the time. I was a junior. It's never been there. So I think there has to be some change. You cannot have the same system for 30 plus years and expect players to come out of the system because there is no system there for the players to come out. No, I think uh, again, uh, I don't know if I can add more. You've covered quite a quite a lot here, and I I wish we can go on on this topic. But let's do another segue and let's talk about both another player and. Uh, you know, let's look back at this uh, career. Uh, of course, you know everyone wants to succeed at majors, but you, you know, your resume is pretty impressive. Someone even is a casual fan, you know, you know, you've been ranked as high as three, if I'm not mistaken. You've competed for bigger titles, played a U.S. Open doubles final, so and uh, you won a mixed doubles uh, major, if I'm not mistaken. So, what still keeps the fuel going? Uh, you know, of course, on the single side, you have players like Federer, you know, pushing the boundary. Age is just a number. Nadal and Djokovic are still the two best players in the world. How does it transcend in the same sport to doubles? You know, how motivated are you to keep going, and what are the goals that you've set for the future? I mean, for me, the love for this sport is where it keeps driving me every single day. I mean, uh, over the years, no matter you know uh, where the results have, whether it's been a positive way or uh, there are a few setbacks with injuries and everything, but the love for the sport has. first firstly which keeps me driving all the time and me as a player i always like to challenge myself to go one step higher for me the bigger the tournament the bigger the stage i prefer to really bring out the best in myself i believe that over the years no matter which tournament i'm playing i know that i can win this tournament and that is what has really helped in my career going uh for so many years playing these big matches playing no matter who was there you know uh, opposite the court i feel if i play the way uh, uh my style of game is which is a big serve uh whether it is serving and walling or using my forehand as my weapon i always know that i have a chance with no matter who i play against so and sometimes it is just the self belief i think whether it is i have it in me or not uh, of the when i win matches or uh, sometimes i end up losing matches um having said that playing you know at a high level the experience it gives you uh constantly talking to top level coaches talking to the players watching matches and i think that is really uh made a difference in my game of constantly understanding how the sport has changed uh sometimes uh, uh actually few years ago i realized that serving and staying back and using my forehand as a weapon on the clay courts actually helped me as a player than serving and walling uh because it gave me a better advantage 
in terms of hitting the forehand and then going to the net and using that as a weapon instead of serving and walling. Uh, because clay was not a natural surface for me coming from India. We don't have that kind of clay what they, uh, there is in Europe, in India. So adapting it to later in, in my career just came by watching a few of the top players, how they play and trying to constantly learn and speak to my coach. And I've had uh, my coach Scott Davidoff with me for almost 10 years. And I feel that uh, you need to work together as a team as a long period of time. Sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of the players I see constantly trying to change coaches or, you know, frequently try different, different things. And here right now, he it's become like a family. Uh, you know, Scott has been with me for such a long time. So no matter what the result is or uh, whether it's a win or a loss, we can have a healthy conversation. And that, I think, makes a big difference uh, in my game. And I thrive on playing big events at big stage. No, I think you you absolutely read my mind. I was going to do a plug-in for Indian players and clay, and you just, I think there was a perfect, uh, there's more than what I was looking for that answer. But yeah, so it's more of an instinctive, you know, adjustment that you realize on clay. So let me ask you this. I know, uh, again, from a fan's point of view, you play, anyone who's playing doubles will play with various partners throughout the year, throughout the season. So suppose when you're playing with the Cuevas, you know, who's coming with a more, uh, you know, tennis education of his you know, formative years on clay. So, as professionals, do you do doubles plays reach out to each other? Uh, you get career advice or some technical adjustments, or no? He's just your partner at that point. You're trying to win a tournament, trying to win sets, trying to win points. Uh, does that kind of conversation happen, or you know, Rohan sticks with his coach during training? You don't reach out to a fellow player, uh, or depending upon uh, how your chemistry is, is that is that a real scenario, or it's just strictly business out there? For me, I always like to learn from someone else. Uh, when when I was playing with Cueva, sometimes I would ask him, uh, you know, certain shots on how he would ideally move or how he would slide, whether he would hit and then slide or whether he would slide into the ball and then hit the ball. So certain things, you know, when uh, a certain weeks, I would ask him because he was natural at that and he, that's his... Uh, you know, Forte playing playing on that clay court, or I would ask his coach. And for me, I had no problem in discussing with other players, talking about uh, whether some other players' strengths, what their weaknesses are, or whether what my strength, what I felt is. I I felt, you know, the more I spoke, the more I gained uh, myself as an athlete, and uh, that's what I keep trying to tell the same thing to uh, you know the players at the academy that you guys need to communicate more and just learn from each other. And that is where your own game will improve. Then just don't be reserved on uh, just thinking of what your coach and you are going to talk. Constantly watch, talk to them why they may have done this particular shot, the way they have played it. And I think, uh, you know, so there are a few times, I mean, with the top doubles players, uh, so, uh, when I was... Uh, in Australia, I spoke to Todd Woodbridge, trying to find out uh, what, uh, a little bit on how I could improve my single-hand return. Sometimes having the access of uh, meeting all these players still uh, in the locker rooms, and it's a big advantage. And, uh, you know, just to, uh, when I'm practicing with them, 
whether some of the top players are warming uh, them up before their matches. So that way, you know, when we take a water break, I get to speak to them. So if there is something, I I try and ask them what they they would do in that scenario or that situation. And so that way you're learning as a player. And that's the way I have been uh, throughout my career. No, that's, I think, uh, again, uh, totally looking from the outside. You know, these details are what these podcasts are about because uh, everyone who tunes in is a fan to the core. So how has been the transition for Rohan Bopanna? You know, like you, I see from my perspective, big serve and you can really crush the forehand. So in double scored, how you have to adjust your game when you're playing with a Shapovalov compared to a Cuevas, who is also a right-hander. So what parts of your game or the mental, of the, of the, or the mindset has to change? I know maybe it's a small thing, but still, you know, it's just like in cricket, someone is better off bowling from the end that, you know, where you can get more swing or vice versa. So that's, is there a mental adjustment besides the technical adjustment when you switch from a righty doubles partner to a lefty? I think as a player, if you are adaptive to the situations and to the players, I think you can bring out the best in it, uh, in that partnership for sure. And for me, playing with Cuevas, I was playing on the deuce court. Now playing with uh, Shapovalov, I'm playing on the ad court. So as a player, over the years, I learned to adapt irrelevant of who the partner was and I felt uh, if you can constantly enjoy yourself as a partnership and try to motivate each other I mean uh, whether like Dennis uh, when I started off with him in Indian Wells uh, I feel he was still very raw to the doubles game uh, from the past six months from and playing first tournament in Indian Wells and our last tournament of this year was in uh, Paris there was a huge difference of the way he moved even at the net in terms of when he crossed, when he moved forward and then crossed to hit a volley, not just moving sideways to hit a volley. I think even for him, he was learning and it helped his singles game. And and uh, me as a partner was to he let him play his shots, not restrict him from playing his best shots or to go after you know, the way his style is, not try and change that, but to adapt in those situations and to keep it as minimal as possible to tell him a few things while playing uh, the opponents on what their strengths or weaknesses were and adapt to their adapt to that style of play and, and play together. And the, as long as I felt I enjoyed with the partners whoever I played with, that's where my best tennis came out. Hmm. Uh, sorry, uh, the mute button was too long on my end. So anyway, so what are the challenges when uh, you are playing like two singles players? I know we can't say Hachanov and Rublev as two singles players, but it looks like they are playing more and more together because the Olympics are coming. So when in a in a in a competition mode, uh, suppose uh, you were supposed to play the winner of Cabal and Farah versus the winner of say you know two singles players, and then the singles guys come out. So I mean, are there any late uh, adjustments or the you have to make or the plans already there for both teams how you go about that uh, when you're waiting for your next opponent this the player i mean the singles players the uh, the toughest part is unpredictability you have no idea on what is coming because uh, they it's also their second event it is not their main event i feel and they play much more free when it comes to doubles and uh, 
when you play a doubles team, you pretty much know what their patterns are, how they're going to play 90% of the time. Yes, there might be a few changes uh, uh, here and there, but playing singles players, it, it is impossible to know what is coming. And that, I think, is the toughest part of when you play two singles players or playing uh, two doubles players. All right. So with the season ahead, Rohan, I've ta- I've talked to quite a few doubles players, and uh, everybody has their own you know way of picking a partner. And you know, I'm sure the commitments are done preseason. So what is the schedule looking for Rohan Bopanna with the rise of Dennis Shapovalov uh, more and more on the single side? Is this still the plan to go ahead and play you know majority of the season? If not, what weeks uh, are open, and how do you pick uh, you know how, how does this uh, get filled in? Because we only get to see out in the draw. He's playing with Cuevas. He's playing with Pear. He's playing with Sharon, but what's uh, what's the process here, and how far in advance you plan? And secondly, if an op- opportunity comes to say play with the Nadal, then do you drop the commitment with the Benoit pair and say, hey, you know, I can play Indian Wells with Rafa? Very hypothetical example. So uh, do do those things factor in? That's what I'm asking. So sometimes uh, it depends where exactly your ranking, individual ranking, is during that week. Uh, because if you look at the Master Series. Uh, compared to the Grand Slams, the Master Series are draw of 32, the Grand Slam is a draw of 64. So the combined ranking uh, cutoffs also vary during these tournaments. So during Indian Wells, the ca- cutoffs are normally between 70 or 80. Uh, and during the Grand Slams, it's about 140, one, uh, uh, 145. Uh, so that's where sometimes when uh, this year, I was started the year uh, in 2019 with Divi Charan, uh, uh, hoping to play a lot more tournaments together uh, as much as we could. But by the time we got to Indian Wells, uh, we were both ranked in the 40s. And we were not going to get into uh, the in uh, master series. So at that point of time, I was going down the, to be honest, uh, ranking list to see who I could play with and who had not entered in the tournament already. And uh, at that point of time, Dennis Shapawala was ranked about, uh, I think, 24, 25. Uh, and I thought, oh, OK, maybe I can ask him and I have a good chance to get into the tournament uh, with him. And that's what sometimes happens when you... Uh, try and uh, try to look for a partner but when you are committed already for certain tournaments I think you try and stick to the partner like yes when you said uh, if there was a week where I didn't have a partner and Rafa Nadal happened to be there uh, you know I would definitely partner with him and uh, you know play the tournament uh, with him Uh, and starting the uh, next year, I'm going to be playing uh, uh, Doha with Wesley Kulov and Auckland with uh, Henry Continent. And uh, February onwards, I'll be playing with Dennis Shapovalov again for a lot more tournaments. Uh, he wants to play uh, a lot of doubles uh, as well this year. I mean, sorry, uh, next year. So I'm really looking forward to continuing that partnership and uh, you know playing uh, in all the Master Series and. Uh, uh, you know, all the 500s as well. So, uh, you know, that, that that's how basically we pick partners. Uh, the idea is to, uh, if we can combine the rankings and constantly play every single tournament, that's the best uh, scenario and that's where you really want to be at. Okay, yeah, that's a rare insight again. So, so let's, uh, and I know we're coming close to the time that I asked for, but uh, if you don't mind, we have a few more questions before we finish this off. So, uh, life on right, tour. Sure. Uh, I've spoken to 
the year, I think 2017, I believe it was, I think after Wimbledon, Qureshi and Ram came to uh, Newport. Of course, they had other partners, but they played that week together. They won it and they never played again because I guess that's how the schedule fell. So that was very impressive for me. I spoke to both guys during that period and they, you know, they were victorious in grass. And then Qureshi also said, you know, most Indian guys, you know, of course, including you, are his, are his friends. And then he's always spending time. So how is it uh, uh, being an Indian on the tour? Because tour is mostly international. Majority of it is in Europe and United States. So how do you pick the schedule? Uh, who books these things for you? What's a Rohan Bopanna entourage? I mean, uh, because we only see the glamour side of it. You know, the Federer's, the Murray's, the Nadal's, the Djokovic. But tennis is still a living for most. And even in doubles besides the top players. You know, it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of finance, financial aspects involved. So talk, talk more about it, maybe not naming players, but, you know, like it's, uh, it's not all, uh, how to say, it's not all, you know, all glittery. It's yeah. still, it's, it's still a job for, for most guys who are trying to come through qualies and singles and, and, you know, main draw of 250 doubles. Talk, talk about the life on tour and, you know, just, uh, give, give an overview what the doubles professional goes through on a daily or weekly basis. I think to start off, uh, I'll give you a, a few points. Life on the tour starts from a very, very young age. Uh, yes, today we, at my ranking, I get to play all the big events at really, really big cities. Uh, you know, but that from a very young age, when you start playing, you are constantly traveling uh, day in, day out. I mean, you're, uh, we we travel about. 30 to 35 weeks uh, back then when I was traveling, uh, playing singles, there was no really entourage as such. It was just myself traveling because uh, whether it was a junior or even till today, uh, me at 39 traveling, I'm paying for my flights, I'm paying for my coaches, I'm paying for the uh, fitness trainer. So everything is done by myself. There is no really help from uh, the federation or any other private sponsor as such. So, yes, the expenses are very, very high in tennis, uh, no matter. Uh, and obviously, uh, now going to uh, the bigger cities, when you start playing bigger events, yes, you do make some prize money, which covers your expenses. But having said that, it's still a lot of uh financial expense which does uh, you know take place for the player coming from india every flight is pretty far away i do all my ticketings my uh, i have a travel agent who helps me a little bit with my visas uh, when i'm here in india uh, but most of my tickets uh, when i'm traveling uh, i do it myself because it's easier right after the tournament i know my timings what ideal flight i want to do Otherwise, I have to call all the way back to India to speak to my travel agent to try and do it. I think majority of the players are doing that themselves. And that sometimes can be hard because it's uh, uh, for the last uh, few years, my wife also has been traveling. Uh, my wife is a psychologist and, I've, and I keep telling her she indirectly uh, counsels me wherever it goes sometimes when all this stuff is going on. So you're not only just booking one ticket, but there's about four tickets I'm booking, which is coach, physio, uh, my wife and myself. So you need to find also flights which are reasonable. Sometimes uh, uh, there are flights which are direct, especially in the U.S., there are direct flights, which but there are workout much, much more expensive than 
taking a flight with one stop. But then again, you need to look at four tickets uh, to do that. Uh, there are times where we've just taken a car or driven, whether it is from uh, all the way from Toronto to Cincinnati, because it just works out more econom- uh, economical for four people than than to fly, even though that is the best option. Uh, so I think it works week to week. Constantly, every player is trying to find uh, the best possible routes, best fares. Uh, so at this journey, when you're playing at doubles or even at this level, not only you are playing at that high level you're trying to do, and around that, sometimes you're constantly thinking of uh, you know these flights. Sometimes you pre-book your flights. Uh, having got a good rate, but then now you're still in the tournament, then you need to change, the change fee is too high or whatever it may be. So I think as tennis players, we always have these last-minute fares and uh, it's not at all, uh, uh, you know, uh, very economical at that point of time. Uh, So having said that, there are a lot of, you know, other stuff. And again, if I have some manager trying to manage all these things that's another added expense in terms of uh, him being being there with me and uh, if i if there's someone in india who i have to manage this with various time zone and time differences it's always never easy to do that so i feel it's easier m- me doing it when i'm traveling constantly i get to learn mm, yeah. about all these various stuff as well uh, uh no, and then, I- and again, yeah. just want to keep this going. So uh, the other thing I always wonder is because, you know, endorsements are so heavy a part of sport. And I'm not even talking about like, you know, endorsing a brand of cereal or endorsing a car that's outside the sport. For for a player to keep going, you know, how many sets of rackets, shoes? Again, these are very basic questions. But at my level, I'm a club player. You know, I'm not very good. So I have four rackets in my bag. I can't, I don't like any of those because they're advanced. I want to buy a new racket, but... You know, I can't justify buying another two hundred dollar racket. You know, I love tennis, but you know, and then the shoes and everything. So you have to be a little careful what you're gonna do because I'm not playing that much. But at that level, you can imagine if you don't have a sponsorship from Nike or Adidas, how does a normal doubles player or singles player uh, are there? You know, like small sponsorship for players for this thing. That's all I'm trying to ask because all these things cost money. Life of a shoe probably is what two weeks at this level. I mean, uh, throw some light on that. This is. Uh, I think very important stuff. I think every club player can appreciate what you guys are going through if you don't have a sponsorship. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right on the f- uh, few things. Some of the sponsors which do, I mean, we do have a clothing sponsor or whatever it may be. Yes, they provide clothes and shoes, but there is not, there's no money involved as such. So sometimes that does help in a way. Uh, but again, it depends on what your ranking is, where you are, uh, you know, uh, and which country, sometimes it's just a country-based sponsorship. Uh, you will be surprised uh, for me telling you this. Uh, when you told me that you had four rackets, you had more rackets with you than what I had for the last two years. I had, I was traveling with just two rackets and playing the, t- and playing the tour. That's because, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Babel had said they can't uh, sponsor anymore and they can't send any rackets and the rackets I liked uh, unfortunately, they were not making it anymore. So I was just traveling with two rackets and playing tournaments and stringing them pretty much every day. And stringing them every day costs a lot. Each tournament, 
uh, whether when you give a racket with your own strings, it costs about $25 to $30 a racket just on stringing. And again, these strings you need to buy, which are very expensive. Um, I've been playing with this natural gut, which uh, which is about $40, I think, on Tennis Warehouse uh, right now, if you want to buy each string. And I've been playing it for many years. So suddenly when there was no contract, everything became that much more added expense. And uh, uh, all these things, I think, add up in terms of uh, when you're playing as well. Uh, there's also so a is, lot is of there, Ro- Ro- Rohan, is there, this is very interesting stuff. So is there a different buckets, like say if you're playing a major again, this is again from hearsay. So sometimes they say major gives, you know, all the players who are participating incentives. So if you're, say, at the US Open or Australian Open, so is the string job expensive compared to, uh, say, a 250 or 500? Or is there any subsidized rates? Or Because this stuff is like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, two rackets, you can't even break a racket, looks like. So talk about, is there any advantages playing, say, an ITF event, like where there's uh, probably rates are more friendly for players? Uh, the 250 and the Grand Slams, I think uh, maybe, if at all, they may, may be a difference of $5. So I, it's not that much of a difference. Uh, yeah, the question, like you said, of breaking racket was definitely not uh, you know, possible for me. And uh, it maybe controlled my emotions and helped me in my game, for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, but there are certain tournaments like Australian Open who really help out players who try and, uh, uh, you know, not charge for stringing during match days. So, uh, yeah, you know, so that's that way they're trying to help uh, players. But it depends tournament to tournament. Uh, some tournaments, if you're using a Babolat racket and it's a Babolat stringer, they don't charge players who are playing with the Babolat racket. They charge only the other players with different companies. So it varies tournament to tournament. Stringers are different. So, uh to get used to the tension also, you need to give one or two rackets before the matches happen because just to uh, get the right tension from that particular machine and every uh, tournament doesn't have the same tennis ball used. Uh, there are a few tournaments uh, which, they, I mean, there are a few weeks we go into that every week there's a different tennis ball used, different uh, tennis brand company which is being used. And I think there that is where, again, the, all these challenges happen. There are a lot of, uh, you know, injuries also sometimes happen because there is no uh, similarity between all these tournaments. And uh, I think all these challenges, every player goes through. I'm not saying it's just me, but uh, yeah, definitely. Apart from playing your match, there are a lot of other things which also uh, a player goes through. And uh, from speaking purely from doubles point of view, when you're at the big show, uh, the tournament starts. It's so chaotic, so hectic. I can only imagine how many players are there because fans are flooding outside. The players, I'm sure, at the US Open, for example. So, how does the practice courts uh, booking work? Uh, do the doubles player, you know, again, I know singles is the main attraction. There's no, there's no harm in admitting, but doubles players are also there, you know, to do their job. So, how does the practice courts work? And uh, are some tournaments better than others? You know, where there's more like an equal opportunity to book court and court time and I'm sure it's, it's a given the bigger the facility, the less of these issues. But talk about this from a totally doubles lens, not singling out like a, a federation or a nation, but what do the doubles players go through or is this mindset already there to accept this? I think uh, it is definitely uh, very, very difficult for doubles players to get a practice court on these big events. Uh, 
obviously the priority goes to whether it is the atp uh, singles or the wta singles and then after that is when uh, the doubles players get uh, a chance to practice so sometimes there are events where we never play on the match courts at all we just play on an off site or maybe if you come maybe very very early in the morning or late evening uh, to try and get uh, one uh, or two days of maybe one hour of uh, practice on the match court uh, and that sometimes is difficult uh, uh, no doubt there is constantly uh, players trying to uh, fight for this to try and get more practice courts but unfortunately there are certain events which have tons of practice courts when then there's no issues there are some uh, indoor obviously indoor tournaments are much harder because uh, these tournaments have a, uh, a very uh, few practice courts and match courts so then it you know as players we adjust and we are, we know it is difficult for the tournament as well uh, but having said that like yeah, specifically for doubles it is not a priority to get uh, practice courts uh, that easily it is always very very difficult so it's a definitely a function of the sport and it's uh, it's kind of still you know more of an accepted way of doing yes, things absolutely. all right yeah. so let's wrap this up a friend of mine is a big uh, supporter of sumit nagal and uh, he saw you uh, in the federal match in the you know uh, in his box which is a common you see a lot of uh, players uh, their nationalities or their compatriots sitting but is there a vested interest is he is there you know uh, are you part of his team or are you showing interest in his career or that was just like a friend supporting a friend when he was playing Roger in New York? So that's a question from a fan I, of Sumit. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I was always been watching his matches, uh, whether uh, for the past few tournaments, whenever I, even when I was in Hamburg, he happened to be playing there, that event uh, there and I was watching his matches. I watched his matches in qualies as well. Uh, so wherever, uh, you know, I I feel that there is another Indian compatriot playing, and if I have a chance and opportunity to watch him and support him, I feel uh, you know great doing that because we are just a handful of tennis players from this country, and we need to support each other in whatever way possible. Uh, so you know, Sumit, I've known for a long time now, and uh, uh, I've always watched his matches. We're constantly in touch, so. Uh, it just so happened that, uh, and also when he played Federer, I told him it is uh, yeah first priority is for your for your team, for your family, and everybody. And only after that, if you still have an extra ticket in the box, then I'm happy to come and support you. And uh, luckily, he had one uh, ticket for me. All right, uh, so Rowan, let's wrap this up. But you are also a businessman. You have a coffee venture. So uh, tell our listeners more about it. How it started. Uh, and uh, what are the plans and how how well the brand is doing? Thank you, Zakim. Uh, the, uh, well, a lot of people don't uh, actually know this, but uh, my coffee came way before my tennis. Uh, I've always grown up in the coffee plantations. We've had it in our family for many, many years, uh, rather generations. And uh, so I come from a place called Kurg that is spelled as C-O-O-R-G. Uh, it is uh, about four hours from Bangalore in the state of Karnataka. Uh, and that is where Indian coffee is mainly grown. Uh, so I've grown uh, grown up in these coffee plantations and uh, hence the coffee interest was always there. So a family friend of mine 
had uh, started this coffee company recently uh, uh, about 3 4 years ago and uh, a year and a half ago i uh, decided to talk to him and see if he can start my own master blend uh, you know from the coffee beans from our estate and that is where you know it began and slowly there has been a lot of interest uh, for the coffee i have given my coffee to tons and uh, tons of players on the circuit and they've seemed to have enjoying it a lot and they keep asking for more so now i'm thinking sometimes when i travel whether i should travel with more coffee beans or uh, more tennis clothes so i'm i'm deciding sometimes my suitcase is half of coffee beans and half of tennis clothes uh-huh, that, there you go i mean that's quite an uh, impressive uh, reinforcement because you know tennis is so international if uh, players of different pa- palettes are liking so i guess you know i'll definitely give it a trial i'll buy it is it available via amazon it's available on amazon india right now i mean so when i come to the us next time i'll bring it to you <laughs> and then i can no, uh, send it over to you because uh, yeah. you know hopefully hopefully we'll have it in the us soon because i know a lot of uh, people in the us love their coffee no that's very kind of you and uh, again uh, we we are closing up on an hour so i enjoyed this conversation hope everyone who tunes in most die hard to tune into my podcast because i mine is not as famous as some of the bigger podcasts but if you're tuning in we are providing content and ron bopanna you made this podcast even better you took it a step uh, beyond that uh, you know most guests have and this is uh, uh, quite uh, you know revealing refreshing stuff for a tennis fan and people will appreciate doubles more and even a singles player more who's trying to make a living because some of those things that you talked about uh, will stay with me and that kind of makes me appreciate when we hear a player makes it and their schedule is loaded they play more tournaments because it's all about also money it's all about ranking it's all about the financial prosperity and even people who get uh, uh, these uh, promotion you know appearance fees it all makes sense why players don't give up on these opportunities because the ladder up is so high so competitive to get through so it's a rare perspective thank you rohan i mean i enjoyed it immensely and it's very kind of you to spend more the close to an hour on the podcast thank you sagar thank you so much for having me it was wonderful talking to you and uh, you know please to whoever listening to this podcast uh, if you're ever happen to be in the same city where i'm playing tennis please come and say hello because i really feel the best way to connect to everyone is to happily meet them and talk to them and uh, i really uh, appreciate that and uh, uh, don't not for anyone to feel shy or anything so uh, hoping that they can listen to this podcast and then do let me know they have and so that uh, you know i can meet them whenever i'm traveling thank you so much again for having me it is wonderful talking to you and thank you all for listening we'll come back with another episode in a week's time the season is just less than 2 weeks away what a better way to start kickstart by having rohan you know talk uh, so candidly thanks again bye for now